0: This is part of the Weirding Way that we will teach you.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to The Weirding Way, uh, the podcast series where we talk about Dune and everything about it. We're, and please read along with us if you can. My name is Tucker Jepson. I'm here with uh, uh, Christian and Bobby. Hello guys, you want to introduce yourselves?
2: Yeah, uh, I'm Bobby. So I... I've never read Dune before I've dabbled in some fantasy novels, but I'm not by any means like a sci-fi fantasy um, like person of knowledge. So I'm, I'm reading the book for the first time I've heard. It's like the godfather of all sci-fi and fantasy. And I'm just trying to enjoy, you know, a classic book.
0: And we love that. My name's Christian. I am a major sci fi aficionado. I have reread Dune and parts of its sequels of a couple of times over, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to um, sort of go back to it, you know, it's a, it's a personal sort of pillar of mine philosophically, and I'm looking forward to, to this journey with the rest of you guys.
1: And just to clarify, CJ, who are to lock down? How many times have you actually read the first original Dune book?
0: Uh, I, I mean, cover to cover, probably like uh, like two, or, uh, like three or four, uh, four times. Um, though I do reread like chapters of it periodically, like you know, I've been just just for the heck of it. But.
1: Yeah, yeah. I personally, I'm I've only sure. read it through. Only read it through um, probably once or twice. Um, I know it's, it, but I like what you said there about um, cover to cover and kind of picking up and reading specific chapters and, and passages because, I mean, I know when I first started off reading Dune, I really struggled just to get through it. It's an incredibly dense book and at a young age, it's hard to do. Um, so Bobby, I'm, I'm excited for you to, to make your way through this. Is, I know uh, Christian and I can both attest it is probably one of our favorite books of all time. And like you said, it truly is the godfather to a lot of sci-fi. Um, and throughout the, throughout the series, we'll be exploring some of those, um, uh, like how these things tie in to some of your favorite series for those of you listening. And I think it will be really exciting uh, if you guys read along with us. You'll see a lot of callbacks as we go through. One thing I one thing I would quickly say,
2: sort of, so we've read six chapters, um, and ha- never having read it before, like it's actually is written in a way where it's very readable right like if you read like the hobbit or something like that or lord of the rings or even um game of thrones there's sometimes so much detail in describing things that it can be tough to get through but you know a decent chunk into the book i think this is like it's easy to just keep on going and and follow the characters although i know that there's a lot of things i'm probably not picking up on but like it's not an intimidating read in that sense is one Uh. thing i've already picked up on
0: I'm not going to lie. You're the first person, Bobby, who has actually said that. I mean, my who, who I introduced the book to. My mom, she had a very hard time following it um, when she tried to read it. Um, and I, I've heard that, uh, you know, other people having a hard time reading it. So yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good start. I mean, that's a good stuff Well, once
2: we start talking about it, we'll see how well I followed it. But like, in terms <laughs> of, <laughs> but in terms of like, reading it and not feeling like i'm getting completely lost in detail and like the writing style um it was easy to pick up like i was ready to go through another six chapters i had to text you guys and be like i need to stop now right like that's the <laughs> um so i that was just my one comment about it yeah. I, I think that's
1: a really cool thing um uh really and real cool energy to have going into it and i think you have the benefit of having read um Game of Thrones all the way through. You're used to the dense yeah. and kind of overwhelming, just wall of words that these book that those books kind of have. And this is very, very to the point and very information heavy. Um, but what's kind of fun is it's a lot of um, uh, the a kind of un, a piecing together what these things are, like learning more about the um, uh, Bene Gesserit, and you know, like like, like they they th- they, te- they dangle these things in front of you, and then you slowly learn more about it. And that's kind of the, the beauty of diving into the world of Dune. Um, yeah. But yeah, so for this podcast, we have a couple of goals. Um, for those of you listening in, um, we encourage you guys to read along with us. We are reading um, about six chapters, quote unquote chapters, um, a week. Uh, they're not really split up like that in your copy of Dune. Um, it'll kind of just be a long, almost just elongated section breaks. Um, and so we're kind of arbitrarily choosing six to to go to and make our way through. So we split it up this way so we can have about eight um, episodes of this podcast. Nice, easily digestible, you know, come on, this is great for you. Um, but without further ado, do you guys want to get into it and uh, tell everyone went, what went down in these early chapters?
2: Yeah. Um, so should I, do you guys want me to run through sort of just quickly what occurred and what they walked us through, and then we can kind of dive into – Maybe some of them, the items we flagged is important to discuss.
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. Do you want to? Do you want us walk us through um, the like the very beginning? We kind of they they talk about this gamjabar. Uh, like talk about that. What 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 went down? What kind of ran through your mind?
2: Yeah. So the gamjabar being that like poison that the Reverend Mother held up to uh, Paul's neck. Correct. Just that I mm-hmm. know the were Yes. The same mm-hmm. So. They kind of unpacked, they like, as you sort of mentioned, they gave a lot of teasers into the world that we were entering with the book, with the Gamjabar, with Paul, with the Revan mother, and with uh, with Paul's mother, Jessica, right? So the first piece was this dive into the Bene Gesserit, if I'm saying that correctly, um, where it kind of seemed like it, it was this fact, this, faction or like area of study that was all women and they they study something where their followers are incredibly alert and in tune with what others are doing and so paul's mother jessica had studied in this space and then was training paul in that sort of way and study uh and it it basically came off as if millennia ago they had they had split with humans and animals or like animal based like non humanoid like people. So, essentially so, they uh, had I, them in the be-
1: we can get into this this is this is the test um, that he went through basically it was all the Revlon mu came to test Paul um, to test if he was an animal yeah. or a human um, CJ you've been through this what do you think uh, uh, is the kind of meaning of this
0: uh, it's not so much. You know that they're separate humanoid, you know, humans or uh, hominids. You know, if anything, it, basically it's a test of their degree of self-control. Um, you know, both innate and cultivated. Um, essentially, the yeah. different. You know, one of the one of the things that Dune establishes is the potential of human of all human beings uh, to you know and the sort of the innate. Uh, personal powers we all have that are waiting to be unleashed Um, though at the end of the day Dune, a different you know if anything uh, one of the things that Dune establishes is that um, great heroes are they they often have a sort of latent power but it's not very uh, well developed and if anything requires a whole lot of support of other people um, to go on with Um, and this first section of the book here establishes just how much support Paul has going into the story and how his store, how his powers start to take form. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. And the the, the purpose of this test is to, is to see if you can separate yourself from those base instincts to survive and and what, what separates the animals from the, from the humans. Um, And, and what's kind of interesting for the the Ben like Bene Gesserit, as you said, Bobby, is this like sorority of women uh, that get called witches and kind of, they, they, they seem mystical in in nature, but it's all very grounded things. Like they're taught um, the voice. I'm sure you saw saw this Bobby, where they talk about um, oh he, she's using the voice on me and uh, looks like Paul was trained in the voice. That's it, it, it may seem mystical and mystical to the untrained eye, but to these Bene they they're, it's a, a very very like intense, learned process in how do you, how do you get to right. these mystical ways. Um, right. So we're introduced to a couple characters in this in first section. Obviously, Paul, you know, the hero, Paul Atreides, Jessica, and the Reverend M- Mother. Um, clearly, there's a lot of history between Jessica and the Reverend Mother. Parts that stood out to me a lot was this um, uh, dichotomy was, oh, do you love me or do you hate me? And Jessica says, I both love you and I hate you. I can't forget the things you did to me, but I love you for what you've taught me. And it's kind of this, this role of teacher and student, um, which it comes up a lot, especially in this early, early, these early sections. Bobby, do you think you could have held your hand inside that uh, in, intense box and not pull it mean, away? I,
2: I think you have to, right? Like, you just have to walk in and be like, if I don't do this, I'm gonna die. So, like, you might as well just lose the hand and it's okay like i think you just have to walk in like that and accept that that's how you're like gonna have to behave but the thing about a test like that is it kind of is you can say you can do whatever you want but until you're in the situation you're never going to know what you're really going to do and i think that's what you know the test sort of pulls out it's Mm -hmm. like it's not about what you say you're going to do it's put your money where your mouth is and keep your hand in the box
0: well I got sort of a halfway test in that I burned my thumb uh, you know a couple, of days, a couple of days ago it healed fortunately but I I can tell you I pulled my thumb away um, so so I, I there's a distinct there's a non-zero chance I would have failed this test and gotten poisoned
1: <laughs> that is a true but so I got to ask you CJ I kind of got this feeling after rereading it I was that it's kind of ironic that they mentioned the the Coyote would but would chew its own arm off in a trap, but a, a true human would um, stay to be able to kill the hunter. They, they kind of bring this up as the allegory for why they use this test. But is it not, is it not even an animal, like, like, like Bobby said, it's like you're kind of, you have to stay in it. Is it not animalistic? It's you're trapped in two different senses. You know, it's, there's no, I know the basic instinct is to pull away, but there's no escape. You know, you're trapped doubly. So does is it not kind of uh uh short sighted to to trap someone with the Gamjabar jabbar to the neck and also make them go through this pain? Isn't chewing your arm off just with enduring the pain?
0: Well for, well I mean you also have to take into account, you know, I mean perhaps perhaps we're dissecting the metaphor a little too far, but um we, <laughs> yeah. we, we you know at the end of the day, um you know one of the one of the things raised by the metaphor is um you know harming yourself on a short-term short-sighted basis and you know actually solving the problem you know on a long-term basis you know i mean with the animal chewing off its own limb you know i mean you're hurt you're hurting yourself to escape what is at the end of the day a short-term predicament um and that's something that a human does not do um because at the end of the day one of the things that we humans are known for is long-term thought and abstract Thought and planning ahead using those two talents, you know, the ability to uh, grasp the situation um, and wait to solve the problem is a human trait. And the more, you know, in essence, one of the things that makes Paul so uniquely human as we'll come to see is his ability to plan ahead and see ahead in time and to take advantage of this, even when his enemies fall into predictable patterns um, and, self-harm at what are at the end of the day self-harming patterns. So that I, I that's 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 my interpretation at least of the trap metaphor.
1: And it does and that also proves why he's able to um with like endure it even though it's more pain than as right. the Reverend mother mentioned than she's ever right. given anyone and become the quasi Chatteratch. um if I'm not butchering that pronunciation too bad. Um but uh so it's a very big moment, you know, he's he, like and everyone what, what I kind of Usually I don't like this trope um, when it comes to uh, like, t- like heroes and things is that, oh, they're naturally kind of gifted and they can go through life without any kind of, um, and, and they don't have these struggles to get to where they are. Um, I find this, I, I see this a lot in, in uh, for instance, this book series um, that I was reading, uh, uh, Stormlight Archives, fantastic book series, but main character can just kind of Waltz through the world, he's good at everything. And Paul seems to have that, you know, but, but, but it's, it's, he doesn't know it. That's what I find interesting. Everyone is re- revering of this, um this man, of this young boy He can see the future. Um, he can withstand uh, the gum Jabbar and he's just an absolute, like, like he's an amazing fighter um, as we, we see an amazing like strategist and things like that, but he's worked for it. And, and as you said, he's been trained and kind of brought up in this, this kind of harsh universe to be this, this major major hero. Um, any last thoughts on the Bar before we move on? All right. Um, so let's talk about uh, uh, the next one, where we, may, where we meet um, the true villains of this story, the Harkonnens. I thought the language here was fantastic throughout this entire chapter. First of all, you meet, you meet Baron, Peter, and uh, uh feud uh, Ratha. Ratha.
0: I think it's Fade Routha.
1: Fade Routha, Okay, and um, and you meet you meet these despicable characters, and and you they basically lay out their entire plan for why they're allowing, or, or wh- why they have the um Atreides family uh going to Dune, giving up this sh- amazing strategic resource. Um, what I thought was interesting was just the language, though. Um, the way they described Baron as this bulbous disgusting creature of a man and then peter unfolding himself from the chair or kind of almost like cat-like and, and just very mysterious in nature um bob first reactions to meeting the heroes you mean mm-hmm. villains, villains. Um, yes
2: you know i thought it was very interesting i thought it get good insight into the world um when we talk about the language i the way that peter was described I actually because i'm so new to it a part of me was like is this dude like a human being is a mentat some weird alien that like is all-knowing and helps out these dukes and whatnot so that was something i was piecing together and then i think though the big piece that i found interesting was that they even included this chapter because i think often to lay out this whole part of the plan and it seems very set in stone is really interesting as opposed to like driving the story forward and having us as the viewers be blindsided, it's just like an interesting take that I I am a little bit surprised by. Um, but also like gave good insight and I think it sort of laid out the world and the universe a little bit better just through their conversations.
1: Yeah, there's almost an inevitability to uh, this the, the this like like horror that's going to befall yeah. the Atreides family. It's
2: like chapter one. They were like, the dad's going to die. And <laughs> I was just kind of like, yo, like what the fuck? Like, yeah. all right, I guess I see what is, or this is going to happen. Like, and then, you know, they really beat you over the head with that. It's like, there's no way out. This mm-hmm. is just deal with it. This is going to happen, which is like, it's just interesting to know that that's going to happen.
1: What do you think about, um, uh, CJ, what do you think about how th- that use of, like, narrative storytelling, um, do you think that's kind of almost like an homage to Paul's abilities to see the future, um, uh, uh, where it's kind of like they're telling you what's going on, and, and it's this inevitable thing that's going to happen, but the, the the real joy of reading this is getting there, you know, the journey? Right.
0: What do you think? Right. Well, I mean, I mean it's partly that, you know, um, but one thing that sets... The Harkonnens and uh, Paul apart is the way in which that, you know, they're, they're implementing their plans, you know, I mean, Paul is, you know, as we'll see, come to see, you know, insight, you know, it's, I mean, but whereas with the Harkonnens, um, it's meticulous planning and scheming, you know, I mean, it's like two opposite ends of, you know, this, the spectrum in terms of how they're reaching their goals. Um, I I do like... Um, how they're setting up the plot. I will say, uh, you know, one one weakness, I I guess one quibble I have with the chapter um, is that perhaps the the villains are a bit too cartoonish. But you know, as we'll come to see, you know, that the other care, you know, the other chapters featuring the Harkonnens start to compensate, you know, for that um, as it establishes their motives um, and their position and the and positions and things like that. Um, Let's see. Yeah. You're, you're, I also, it, right? I also it's kind of a brief chapter, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of compressed things a bit as well.
1: But. Yeah.
2: And like a lot of these early chapters, I feel like it's a lot of world building, right? It's a lot of conversation about like this piece or that piece of the world, whether it's like, um, and I'm forgetting the name, but the group that like has a monopoly on shipping through space or like the Imperium or, you know, like it's, I feel like an author that's building a world, you kind of have to... Throw in those pieces of conversation to give us the reader a little bit of insight, um, and you just hold on each nugget you get and try to put it together over time.
1: That is actually a perfect transition into uh, the next thing I want to talk about, um, which is uh, in the next section. You, you um, we kind of get more insight into the significant political powers that are inside this inside the universe, which is as like in, upon my. New read through really stood out to me as the kind of the coolest thing. Um, learning uh, because because you first first they, they talk about oh, the Chom company, you know, like by getting getting Arrakis, we'll be able to get more power within this like almighty Chom company, but then there's also the Imperium and the Emperor, um, being this force, and then and, and it's there's all these kind of political powers at play, um, that I find so interesting, and then the Bene Gesserit are along the edges. Kind of controlling everything with their um, kind of selective gene breeding. Uh, uh, I w- like upon reviewing another time, uh, CJ. What do you think about the political powers and kind of and in, in any insights into that?
0: Yeah, um, it it's kind of interesting. I remember seeing an interview a interview of uh, Frank Herbert on YouTube one time where he talked about his admiration for the founding fathers of the United States, and um, you know, I, I you kind of see that here where basically, Basically, he kind of dissects, you know, a tripolar system um, of government and its faults and, you know, the, you know, sort of the the uh, interesting things that happen with that and the dynamics of it. Um, and you also get to see kind of his view, his views on, uh, you know, how power uh, unfolds. It's not, you know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily make, you know, moral, moral judgments, about it, um, but he but he he does you know kind of commiserate over you know the side effects and consequences of different you know sort of distributions of power. Um, and as for the breeding, you know that's I mean it's kind of interesting you know how, how the Benedict sort of set things up, uh, like, try to set things up like that you know on, on the sidelines. Let's pivot a little bit to the butler and jihad because I feel like this is an important world building point, uh, as as you raised, Bobby, um, because it, it establishes why, you know, this whole adventure on Arrakis is taking place in the first place. You know, I mean, basically humans, um, you know, have rebelled against com- a computer and information based economy, and are, you know, are trying to expand their own minds, um, rather than outsource it, so to speak, to machines. You know, I mean, if anything, you know, this, if anything, uh, Dune is kind of like an As you know, the backstory establishes almost a post, almost after a fashion, a post-apocalyptic story where humans have, you know, overthrown machines um, and established, reestablished their own sort of societies uh, that are more by chance rather than by algorithm and planning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I I mean, Brian Herbert, Frank Herbert's son, has written some sequel books that explore this older history but i have i i I have not read them myself um
1: yeah uh, i think it's a really cool it's a cool uh uh, nod and you think of um uh, sci-fi as very computer-based and um like like high sci-fi is very very much so uh technology like we are heavily dependent on technology but this it's kind of like they fight with um, uh, swords and like like knives um, and shields, and they don't fight with guns. They're trained in, in that kind of weaponry. Um, they they mention that you know rebelled against um, computers, so instead they have these things called mentats right. um, that can that that are supposed to be the computers and have these extremely smart minds. And in fact, Peter scoffs at computers and calls them like sluggish and, right. and you know ob- obsolete. Um, uh, Bobby, do you have any, uh, uh, questions about this? Uh, we will, we'll try not to reveal too much cause things, you know, build, but
2: yeah, I mean, it's something where like, you know, you guys are talking about this and there's so much history and so much backstory. And part of me is like, I did not capture all of that in the last six chapters. Like yeah, fair, enough, <laughs> fair enough, Like there's like, that's the piece for me that like, it's still really coming together. Um, I think the piece of the mentats, like that wasn't completely clear to me because Mm -hmm. you know peter seemed like not human right but i couldn't quite put my finger on what he was but then like paul at the end of our reading it's like you can become a mentat and so it's like there's clearly a human element to that and so that's a piece that i'm still like well how what how do these mentats exactly work i have a good understanding of it but like right He could still become a duke. So becoming a Mentat doesn't take away his human sort of path. It would just give him these unreal abilities, but it seems like every, you know, great house has a Mentat. Um, so like, I'm definitely still piecing that stuff together. And that's where it's like, it seems like there's a central force governing being the Imperium and like the emperor, right. Then you have under them, the political powers that be, being the great houses. And so we've only really met two. And I kind of feel as if those are the two we'll focus on and I'm piecing together how the great houses work. And then similarly, you have some monopoly on space travel, which is just an interesting element because it puts these bans on what everybody's able to do because you have to work within that system. Um, And then you have the Choem or the co Company, however that works, um, which is sort of like where everybody jockeys for power and it seems very driven by resources. Um, So that's like my current view of the world a little bit loose and early on and I'm sort of allowing that to develop. Um, And with sort of those different pieces of the puzzle and how they angle, it's just interesting to watch a book be built to see how can all of those different levers be pulled and what are the different motives behind what everyone's going to do. And I think that's one of the fascinating things about a book like this is like, he builds a world out and you have to work within that system, but there's creativity within a system mm-hmm. that's sort of like, once you get to know it, you can be astounded by brilliant moves by different characters. Um, that's yeah. sort of where I'm sitting and thinking about right now, which is obviously way me piecing, putting the puzzle together versus you guys having this great understanding and rereading. It's kind of a different perspective. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to try not to get too like, – and obviously, we are so fresh into the book. So there's like a lot that you're going to learn even just in one chapter versus you know, 10 from now. Um, uh, mm-hmm. But I, some interesting things. Um, they do talk about the uh, – um, the Harkonnens do talk about their plan. And, and they, uh, they laid out the entire thing. But they said the kind of the icing on the cake and the, the kind of the, 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 the coup de grace of the entire thing – is the fact that he has the support of the emperor, um, and and I'm, I'm sure it's kind of like it, you don't really know who the the the, the, the Sardukar um, uh, soldiers are, but they definitely paint them as being this terrifying force to be reckoned with. But they also compare them to the Fremen in the last chapter. Um, uh,
0: Do you think maybe we're going a bit too far ahead here?
1: The, this was in the, this was in the last chapter.
0: Okay. Do you guys um, want me to talk about what I
2: remember from yes, that piece? Yes, yes. And then we can actually. make sure we're not jumping too far. Yes. Yeah, so, like, the what was it called again? The Saurdhaka? Saurdhaka. Car. Like, my understanding was that the Emperor has a planet of these, where, like, he raises these soldiers in these brutal conditions, and they're known for just being the most vicious soldiers, like, in the universe or the galaxy or whatever, you know. The, the area is, and he's basically lending them to the Harkonnens to, you know, build out this plot, and then Paul has this really intense interest in, is it Fremen or Freeman? Fremen. So the Fremen, Fremen, and kind of the analogy that was put together was that, you know, they are also brought up in these crazy, harsh conditions, and the whole plan was bring the Fremen in to be... To combat the saudicar and that this this was like sort of the angle that the the is it a, a tree days mm, uh, atreides. atreides we're gonna use to kind of get out of you know this basically shitty situation and so i'm sitting here looking at it and i'm thinking okay we know the dad is gonna die because they're not leaving that up to question. He's, <laughs> That's pretty. he's a fucking he's a fucking goner.
1: Yeah, it's pretty heavy-handed <laughs> with the <laughs> yeah, right. there's
2: yeah, like no, like this was not a blindsider surprise. He's going to die. So the next piece is like Paul has this fascination with the these Fremen, you know the Sadakar are going to be around and I'm assuming Paul there's a piece of adventure with him connected with the Fremen and like a battle between like Paul the Fremen, against the Sadakar and the Harkonnets. like that's what I'm watching sort of unfold and I think uh, as you guys have mentioned, the journey there is the piece that's gonna get be so interesting. and a lot of it's the world building, it's Paul's abilities and it's sort of like then as they work within the system, what are, what are those things that they don't just tell you? Yeah, this guy's gonna die. Like that's gonna be interesting to see, you know? Um, those that's my thought on where we are right now as far as Sadakar and from Fremen. Uh
1: yeah, and I know CJ, you you mentioned um, when we were talking about doing this podcast, what was so interesting was kind of the religious aspect, um, and you and you brought it up earlier. Uh uh how do you think how do you think that this kind of um religious uh uh what is the word I'm thinking of? Um how was upbringing by the Sardaukar caused them to be even more fanatical and, and crazy, crazy warriors? And they talk, and mm-hmm. you want to talk about how, how like, the, when the Duke was talking to, to Paul about this, about what kind of, how they managed to rile up the Sardaukar to be so deadly?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a shame we don't really have their perspective, the perspective of the Sardaukar the way do we do with, say, the Harkonnens, um, in dune but you can't capture every perspective you know in, a, mm-hmm. in any given book um now i will say it, you know the it, when when the sort of the the driving belief system of the starter car is brought up though it is brought up very much in terms of like a cult of personality around the emperor um and it's a spirit de core of them having survived on uh you know the their their home planet um despite the overwhelming odds and what have you? So I, I mean, it tends to be, it tends to be less religious and more sort of uh, like a driven, if anything, like a sort of a kind of a football team or soccer, you know, like a soccer hooligan dynamic. Except of course, you know, it's interstellar and they've got a lot more armor. One thing, <laughs> I mean, one thing though, I will say one slightly uh, more historical parallel to raise is stuff like you know the. But, you know, martial races, of the British Empire, for example, or the Janissaries of the Ottoman Empire. Um, you know, the Janissaries, of the Ottoman Empire, they were, um, you know, enslaved uh, Serbians, primarily who were, you know, converted to Islam. Um, they were trained uh, to, you know, fight for the Sultan um, and they were a big power broker all the way, you know, into from like the 15th century to the 19th century in the empire um and you know the martial races of India, they were uh, you know, local South Asian people who were trained to believe that they were superior relative to their neighbors by the British. Um and that still impacts British you know, Indian politics and Pakistani politics even to this very day, um, and influences, you know, things like colorism and whatnot within those countries. Um so that, that that's another parallel I can think of. You know, it's it's very much a sort of tribal uh, very much sort of uh, cult of personality thing that's driving the Sardaukar. Not not really so much a proper uh, you know ethics and philosophically driven religion.
1: Interesting. I didn't realize those those uh, parallels until you brought it up, though. But it totally totally checks out. <laughs> I think. Um, and and I'm really interested to see how these how these. Um, uh, different groups clash and that, that's kind of what's most exciting because they, they, they set it up and they're not subtle about it at all. They talk about how, okay, these, they're, we're given two legions or however many legions of this and it's almost it, he, it's almost said in awe because um, the, the power of these things is not understated at all and then you, and then they talk about the Fremen where they say even the children are dangerous so they, they already set up these two incredible warrior groups and there's almost an inevitability about the, the clash between them. And, and hopefully that's something that we'll see as we proceed further into this book. Um, uh, the Mentat training, an interesting revelation. I kind of had a chuckle um, where, where it says, where um, Duke Leto mentions to Paul, he says, oh yeah, so um, just so you know, we think that you have Mentat Abilities and Paul says, "Wait, that doesn't make any sense. Like, you have to be trained it from a young age, and you're not revealed until you're older." And he's like, "Oh, wait," and that's kind of his mentat. It, it's like yes. mental abilities just locking everything into place. Yes. And then he like literally, one page later, is is kind of already seems to be using those abilities and compartmentalizing yes. things. And I think that's a really interesting perspective that Paul will have moving forward in in the in the series.
0: You know, another thing that it raises, you know, the secrecy of the Mentat training is the degree to which a lot of Paul's heroic abilities, they're not, not they are not you know, born with him and they're not sought out by him. If anything, they're constantly imposed on him by others. I mean, he's the product of a Bene Gesserit program that, uh, you know, a breeding program that precedes him by, by thousands of years. He's an aristocrat who was born into wealth and money. Um, and then on top of that, you've got the, this secret mentat training that he's had since a child, you know, I mean, he's, it's kind of like, I have the Manchurian candidate after a fashion, um, though a bit more romantic and dolled up, but yeah, I mean, that's the, another thing. Yeah. That's just what sort of the chapter strikes home for me is how little, you know, initially it seems like things are not in Paul's control. Um, but as we'll see, as we advance in the book, he starts to reclaim some of his authority using some of the powers that... Were given to him by a lot by a lot of these outside forces who were trying to use him. But well, that's but that's 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 going to come up later.
1: <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, Bobby, I got I got some questions for you. Um, so one of my favorite things about this is the, the combat. You know, I mean, I'm a total total combat nerd. What did you think about um you, you meet the the first the master of assassins and then you meet his new swords trainer? Um, uh, so Thurahwat uh, and uh, Gunny. Um. Anyway, Duncan know Do we meet Duncan? How Alec, this? Gunter, or... G- Gunny H- G- Sorry. Let me... Oh no, we don't. We don't meet Duncan. Idaho, Idaho comes a bit later,
2: I think. No. Yeah, we haven't met him yet. Not. Not. Now. Um. No, we met. I actually wrote down the name. Um. We met Gurney Halek. That's yes, his name. Yes, there it is. Uh, he was the man. <laughs> he was cool. <laughs> like i was a big fan uh i liked i liked the like combat scene between him and paul um i thought it was good insight into like how combat kind of works and like a little bit of the technology that they're able to use um as well as insight into paul's training right like you know as christian sort of said like This is, this guy's basically royalty. He's had all of the resources that any person could expect to have and he's been trained since he was very young, you know, in ways that most people in the universe don't get to be trained. He's gonna have an advantage over your average person. Um, So that was interesting to watch play out, right? Um, And the thing, again, that I'm curious about is, you know, we read about these Harkonnens, you read about the nephew, uh, the, like, young Harponen, and I'm just like, is there some clash between these two young, like, basically up-and-coming royals or, you know, big family players where they're going to end up fighting? So it made me actually more curious about who is he going to clash with and in what sense and have we met that character yet? Um, those were the thoughts that I pulled away from it. And I just, I, hell heck, I was like, you're the man. You're cool as shit.
1: Yeah, just the warrior bard. Oh, a, 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 it's a yeah. classic. Yeah, it's a classic uh, combo. Um yeah. and I really like how you brought up how you brought it back to the Harkonnens because if you just look at the the upbringing between the nephew and Paul, they're just two polar opposites. Um, the nephew is not even walking on his own two feet; he's quite literally in suspender chairs, you know. Is and then he's not even walking around. He kind of seems to be living this. Lavish lifestyle, whereas Paul, even though he is the son of a duke, he is isolated from everyone. Um, he's constantly being trained, lessons upon lessons, and are getting forced upon his head. Um, but it's it's an interesting that the Benedger they were really keen on getting merging these two polar opposite households. Um, I think that would have been an interesting um, offspring between those two. Uh, but but it's just just a polar opposite, like like you said earlier, heavy handedness. Just explaining how evil the Harkonnens are. Just by the way, he's fat as hell. <laughs> he has seventeen suspenders keeping him up, so he doesn't have to walk on his own two feet.
2: Yeah, well, that was the that was the Baron, though, right? That yes. was like the mm-hmm. older guy. Mm-hmm.
1: And then there was the nephew in the room who wasn't necessarily like he was still in a, like, a floating chair because um, uh, Peter at one point walks behind him and and feud has to. Gets a little concerned for his life, as the 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 Mentat assassin that the Harkonnens employ is clearly implied to be quite terrifying.
0: Yeah, he sounds yeah. I don't think guy. At what point will we be hearing from our sponsors?
1: Hmm, that's a good uh. uh it, do you think it's time for an ad break? But e- uh, either way, I, about, like we'll do some last minute um thoughts. Uh, uh, we are obviously really early on. There's still a lot more world building to be explored um i think this is just a quick quick little jaunt like, like look into the world um any, any last things that we want to bring up about the chapters that we just read like story-wise
2: uh i'm good i was gonna say though i don't have any sponsorship material prepared i don't know if you guys do
1: i have one um so now what do you guys say a word from our sponsors cj would you like to, to lead us off or do you want me to
0: so we're just gonna improvise this. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, fuck I, it. Okay. <laughs> and now for, and now for a word from our sponsors, um, at Choam. Need whale fur, pack mules, spice melange. Come to Choam. Uh, no.
1: We'll sell your soul, uh, and you will owe us everything. <laughs> but we have money. <laughs> and now a word from the Spice Guild. And that was oh, the words from one? the Spice Guild. <laughs> Thank you guys all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you for sponsoring the Weirding Way podcast. Hey, we tried, right? Okay. We tried. <laughs> do you have it? We can record We're, something. We'll, we'll work on it for next week. Let's yeah, cut yeah, that. Yeah. Heck it. Heck it all. You yeah, know, yeah. why not? We'll figure it out. It was like, hey, it's cute, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So, um, reactions. Bob, what do you think? Are you excited? What's going on in your mind?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I'll definitely fly through the next six chapters. Um it's just it's being teed up as like a pretty epic story. The reputation definitely helps because I know that it's going to be amazing. Um and I'm excited to dive in. I'm kind of excited for the dad to die. Cuz like I know it's going to happen. So I'm like let's get that over with. Like okay. like cap that dude and then let's like mix it up a little bit like i'm ready for i'm ready to get into kind of the heat of it where i'm just like when i finish a chapter and i'm like oh man like i gotta keep reading like whereas now i'm like this is interesting and that's interesting but i know it's gonna pick up and i'm ready for that to
1: happen um as well as
2: like i'm
1: yeah uh you keep going sorry i was was gonna say as well as like i'm enjoying getting the
2: world to sort of come together and like Seeing all of those things, because I know there's a lot to unpack. Um, I just kind of feel like I'm still on first base a little bit, and I'm ready to like.
1: I just want the dad to die, like <laughs> knock it out. <laughs> it's like, got to happen. It, get it over with. Come on. <laughs> Stop talking. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're gonna tell me. You're gonna tell me it's gonna happen. Like,
0: yeah. So at the end of the day, you know, I mean, one thing that I love about Dune, as we come to see, is that you know the consequences of you know his death are going to be twisted. Um, around in ways that, you know, no, none of the characters see coming. Um, you know, so, I, I mean, that's, that's one thing that, you know, D- Dune does really well. You know, I mean, it, it highlights a lot of stuff that is inevitable, but then it shows how, you know, the characters adapt and thrive and then promptly flip the table on the circumstances that created them. Um, yeah.
2: Another thing I'm really curious about is, like, what characters stick around? Like, there's going to be this coup and x amount of people are going to get killed and who do like do we keep Halek? like does he stick around or was he just like one off like oh he trained paul up so paul's a good fighter and mm-hmm. moving on um you'll it's see? Like, those are the pieces <laughs> those are the pieces that i'm yeah like those are the pieces that i'm curious about that they haven't you know laid out and i know it's gonna become interesting like who's team paul um and who, uh, di-
1: and who dies. I have a, a question, a prediction for uh, I, I want to see if you have any predictions. Uh so Tucker, you've read the book. I <laughs> know <and>, uh, <laughs> I I know what's going on. I'm not gonna predict anything. I'm asking you. Um so they they talk about uh, uh Dr. Yui um, uh being a like he is their their the person who is going to turn on the Duke. And yeah. they talk and things like that. But they also mentioned this imperial conditioning and how he is impossible. He seems like he's the one who got it the hardest, and he he he'd be allowed to conduct surgery on the emperor himself because he is that loyal to the group. What do you think the Harkonnens have on Doctor Yui? Because he definitely does not seem too excited to betray the Atreides. So, what do you think?
2: Yeah, that was very interesting. Uh, you know, he gave that like. Bible type thing to Paul. Paul opened up the wrong passage, which happened to be UA's, I forget if it was his wife or his sister or his daughter. It was his wife. It was her, it was wife, yeah. Her favorite passage. Um so I assume that that is the key that he's to him flipping. Um or there's some like Trump card they have where they were able to like pull something off either through the emperor or through that's one of those pieces where i'm just like i just don't know and there's yeah. i i feel as if i don't know enough about the world to be able to know so i'm kind of sitting here peace with that in like the back of my head as i learn about the world and i'm like maybe i'm gonna find the piece and it's gonna become clear and that's what i'm waiting on um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the Harkonnens, are. They got some wild tricks, though.
1: Yeah, they're they're definitely evil as hell. certainly <laughs> <That's definitely laughs> pretty obvious. Um, uh, CJ, reactions. Reading it back through, um, uh, what stood out to you this time, and what kind of ca- caught your fancy?
0: Well, it's first things first. It's just as good as the other times I've read it. Um, you know, it's it's nice when a when a book holds up. Um, let's see. I guess look. I guess you know the. The intro, you know, it, it does a good job of, you know, establishing uh, the mindset of the characters and how they feel um, and establishing how they um, are approaching a problem early on. Um, and it's it's definitely kind of interesting uh, to think about that and think about how they're going to adapt and thrive later on. And you know, the, the introduction, the, the characters, you know, a lot of like the peripheral characters, they they approach these things and, you know, the villains, especially, they tend to approach, you know, the, the onset of the story, um, with a certain inevitable set of outcomes in mind. Um, but then, you know, the, the other you know, the, the protagonists and Paul, you know, I mean, they're, they're learning, um, you know, and acquiring the tools they need to, you know, flip the para- the paradigm they've been handed on its head. Um, and this is going to be a, this is a bit of a crossover, uh, but my favorite quote from uh, Neil Gaiman's American Gods is that the you know rigged games are the easiest to beat, and that you know, at, at, what that's that's sort of a that's sort of a lesson that you're going to learn um, as you go through Dune um, and you know see how characters approach problems that they're given. So.
1: Yeah, that is, and and that's kind of the the the, the glorious nature of just. Um, uh, kind of the the ongoing like growth of both Paul um, House of Trades as a whole and just kind of the, the the growing of the world and I'm really excited to see where this goes. Something that that um, uh, stood out to me um, that I didn't really pay too much attention to the first time around were the um, the 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 passages that started off each chapter. You know where they were kind of references in in. What what also really stood out to me is how many books were written about Moa Dib, um, Bob. We have yet to meet Maudib, Dib, but um, I think it's it's kind of obvious what's going on here. Um, but still, very interesting. Read those, Bob. Um, they kind of. I haven't been
2: to... reading those those sections. You haven't? I, is, what? I think no, I know. And like, I looked at one of them one time, and I was like, "Am I fucking up by not reading this?" And I was like. Fuck it! I'm just gonna go forward, and I just go open the chapter. <laughs> yeah. He's just, He's a, yeah, big the, mistake. All right, do read those.
1: Not a, they're going to be look. very confusing um, because it, and they're going to make more sense as you make your way through the book. Um, but yeah, but I'm sure I looked at it. I was like, I don't know what this fucking. It's means. it's, like it's very word. interesting, <laughs> just, and like like everything we've talked about. It's they're setting up. They they're telling you everything that kind of happens before it even happens. Um, but but it, they it th- those opening sections are are like being read into in a history book is kind of how i'm seeing it and it's really really interesting a really interesting take so make sure you go back and read those um they're fun you know they're quick it's easy to just overlook them but i i can't suggest it enough okay interesting um but i know bobby i know you're ready to, to get back back reading uh the book And I know our listeners are also really excited to read further in uh, to this book, Beyond the Sixth Chapter. But um, any last thoughts before we uh, let everyone go back, get back to their reading?
2: I'm really just ready to keep on moving through this thing. Um, I'm excited for like, I'm excited to get into the thick of it. I'm ready to to rock and roll on like the godfather of all sci-fi, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm amped.
1: There we go, CJ. Any last words?
0: Yeah. Um. Again, I can't stress. Yeah, you know, I I stress. I can't stress enough. You know the that Dune is about. You know, taking what you're given, um, and you know, and using it in ways that no that you know people can't foresee. And you know, I I'm looking forward to exploring uh, how you know char- characters can flip paradigms and how we can apply that to our own lives, you know, in, in at a time when we feel like so much is out of our control, um, you know, it's, it's gonna, it's, it's really nice to see how characters are approaching a problem and, you know, solving it with what, with means and with tools that, you know, no, that no one else could think of. And, you know, that, uh, seem, seem obvious, you know, in, with these sort of pre-chapter reflections, but as they're doing it and as they're making it along, you know they they're, they're uh, you know they they seem frightened and whatnot and then they find it so yeah I, I don't know i, I that's I, I mean that i i sorry if that was a bit sort of tangential there but
1: no it's definitely it's definitely valid and i i think it's it's interesting tying it back to the real world as you said we're all trapped at home doing nothing um so it's like how to make the most of it and how to make the most of what seems like this foregone conclusion of what I'm going to do tomorrow. It's like kind of approach it from a different way. It's an interesting way to take, take away from this. Well, um, if that's it for everyone, uh, I, once again, I'm Tucker Jepson. Like, I'm here with, with Christian and Bobby. And thank you guys all for, for listening in to The Reading Way. Uh, get back to reading. The next six chapters are all yours. And uh, make sure you come back and listen to us next week. Thank you guys all for watching. And we'll see you in one week.